it's just my, uh, my pleasure to um, introduce our guest preacher this morning. Uh, Stephanie Kramer is uh, a physician here in town, but she also is someone who started in the process for diaconal ordination. So she's gone through the parish process, and she's now being earned uh, as a deacon uh, in the diocese. It's a, pro- it's a process that will probably take a long time. But even long before that, she's a part of a small team of lay people at our church um, that Pastor John has spent some time uh, training uh, as preachers. And so Stephanie's going to come and bring the word for us today. Can I say a prayer for you? Yeah, cool. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your servant, our sister Stephanie. And we pray that you would unfold your word before our eyes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Good morning, church. Um, I have to say, when I saw that the lectionary reading this morning had um, the story of Mary and Martha in it, I was like, sweet, something familiar. Um, but um, I actually feel pretty convicted that this is a hard passage. Um, there's a lot of new nuggets in it for us. Um, so let me pray to kick us off this morning. Um, um, Jesus, we pray that you, um, we would be um, sitting at your feet um, to um, listen and to hear from you this morning. Um, we pray that you would reveal to us a little bit more of the mystery, and we know that um, that happens best when we are gathered together as your people. Um, So would you do that great work in us this morning? Amen. All right, so like I said, this morning we're going to learn together from the Luke passage on Mary and Martha. So I want you to take out your pew Bible and turn to Luke 10. It's verses 38 to 42, Luke 10. a second to find it. So it's only five verses, but they are five action-packed verses, and they read a little bit like a script in a play. So it's helpful to follow along, because it's like you're following along the dialogue in a play. Um, And I want to set the scene for us um, so we can try to picture in our mind kind of just exactly how this is playing out. So Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, and on the way, he has been teaching about his kingdom telling us that once he reaches Jerusalem, he's going to be put to death and rise again. And so we have the shadow of that hanging over this story from the beginning. Now, in the verses just before this, the story of the Good Samaritan, we learned about that last week, um, he laid out a vision of kingdom life that looks like sacrificial love for your neighbor. So last week, Peter preached, we remember, that Jesus is the ultimate Good Samaritan. He finds us in our brokenness. He provides holistic healing And then he calls us to participate in that same type of work. Last week's passage ended with the command, go and do likewise. So action-packed words. Now, the Good Samaritan passage was a parable, right? A story, not technically real, real life, but meant to illustrate a point that Jesus is trying to make. But what's fascinating about this story with Mary and Martha is that it sounds just like a parable. You can almost imagine Jesus sitting down and telling it as a teaching illustration. But it isn't a parable. This is real life being lived out between Jesus and these two women. So in verse 38 at the beginning, we see that Jesus is welcomed by Martha into her home. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now Martha right away is a strong and even dominant figure. Luke says this is her house, and she has done the inviting of this important guest. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, who isn't mentioned here, are friends of Jesus. 
And we get the sense that Jesus might be familiar with them because he goes right in, he sits down, and he begins to teach, not your average dinner guest. Now, Jesus likely had a group of disciples with him. So this wasn't just like one or two people that Martha had invited over, but probably more like 12 or more. Now, I don't know what your plans are for after church today. Maybe you're inviting a friend over for lunch. Maybe you plan to invite someone who looks new to our community and invite them over as a way of being welcoming. But I suspect that you didn't come today thinking that you would spontaneously invite 15 people or so over. And if someone came up to you after church and said, hey, I invited these 15 people over for lunch at your house today, that even if you are a flaming extrovert or like a go-with-the-flow kind of a person, that you're going to have some kind of internal freakout. <laughs> Do I have enough food? Is the bathroom clean? Do we have toilet paper? Is there still laundry stacked on the couch? And whose is it? Um, and does it need to be put away? Um, so some of you introverts are going to have nightmares about this scenario tonight. Sorry about that. Um, but there Jesus is in Mary and Martha's living room. His disciples have sat down to listen to Jesus teach, and so has Mary. Martha, however, is bustling about serving the many guests. So the contrast that Luke sets up here between Mary and Martha could not be more clear. Mary is seated, quiet, and attentive. Martha is standing, talking, and distracted. And at this point, I think it's tempting to think that Luke is asking us to think about who we identify with most. Are you on Team Mary or are you on Team Martha? But here's the problem with what we just did. We fell into the trap that people often do with this story, and we treat these sisters as simply having differences in skills or personalities. Are you the quiet and contemplative type, or are you the hands-on service type? But honestly, it is not rocket science to know which of these sisters is in the right. Jesus literally tells us in verse 42 that Mary has chosen the good portion. So when the gospel writers give us a story like this, it's really always to remind us that we are like the person doing it wrong or the person in need. If we're honest, I think we know the story exists for all of us to identify with Martha. Martha is distracted and anxious and in a room filled with people that should be considered her spiritual family kind of like this room, and yet she finds herself feeling alone and frustrated, maybe a little self-righteous, and wondering if Jesus cares about her and her work. I wonder if any of us feel that way this morning. Now, I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with Martha's service. In fact, Jesus' ministry on earth thrived because of faithful friends like Martha, who gave him and his disciples places to eat and sleep and teach. Just like how Sunday morning here at Incarnation or midweek missional communities, they are what they are because many of you show up to set tables and hand out bulletins and welcome others and send emails and clean up coffee cups and cookie crumbs and prepare meals and much more. That is noble work. Luke's gospel is full of stories promoting tangible service. And so we have to conclude that the lesson from this story is much more complex than simply saying that the service work Martha does is not important. While Jesus does commend Mary's posture of listening and attention, neither of these sisters are meant to be at the center of the story. Jesus is. It's not about Team Mary or Team Martha. It's about Team Jesus. This living room interaction reminds us that life in God's kingdom must put Jesus at the center. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We might be tempted to read this and think, Mary and Martha are both just trying to honor Jesus, but in different ways. Martha by serving, and Mary by listening. But what we'll find as we dig into this more is that it's impossible to honor Jesus if he's not at the center of whatever we're doing. 
Mary's posture is one of receiving, but Martha instead seems to break into the scene and shifts the camera focus instead to herself and her own work. If Christ is not at the center of our passions or talents or even the good work we do, it will falter and wreak havoc, both internally and externally. So Luke is challenging us to remember that Christ comes before our causes. We are receivers before we are servers. We must eat at the table before we can set the table. And that is important. It's important for the sake of our relationships, for the sake of our causes, and for the sake of our very selves. So let's briefly unpack those three angles of this story, why it's important to put Christ at the center for the sake of our relationships, the sake of our causes, and for the sake of ourselves. So Christ comes before our causes for the sake of our relationships, not just our relationship with Jesus, but our relationship with others as well. We see Martha welcome Jesus into her home, and as he begins to teach, Mary sits at his feet. Martha, it says, becomes distracted with much serving, distracted, pulled away, removed, absorbed by something that's not Jesus, and in this case, her serving. Now, there's nothing wrong with the fact that Martha may enjoy serving, although, to be clear, the text actually never tells us that she enjoys it. It doesn't say, Martha, filled with joy and love for Jesus, began to prepare the home and food for him. That's not what it says. In fact, Luke doesn't give Martha any positive or happy adjectives, none. Right away in verse 40, Luke tells us that Martha is distracted with much serving. The Greek word there for serving is diakoneo, which means to serve, to minister to, to attend to, to provide for. It's where we get the word deacon from, and it's generally used as a positive word that describes godly and honorable work. So there's nothing wrong with the word serving here, or the service itself, just like there's nothing wrong with the many causes that you and I might feel passionate about as well. Injustices around the world, our unhoused neighbors, the environment, education, poverty, and so on. But Martha, like us so often, was prioritizing this identity this cause, this service over Christ. And it's about to wreak havoc on her relationship with Mary. So let's see how this plays out. She goes up to Jesus, and in verse 40 she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and help me. And I think it was with that tone. <laughs> you see what Martha is doing here, though? Martha is judging Mary by Mary's allegiance to Martha's cause. In Martha's mind, there is no more important thing than to get behind what she is doing in the moment. And how in the world could Mary think to do anything else? Oh, Lord, do something about this. And I want us to ask ourselves if that is how we think sometimes, especially as we think about all of the very noble causes we may give ourselves to. Lord, am I the only one who cares about poverty? Am I the only one who cares about racism, education, refugees, family, the environment? Look at my brothers and sisters over there. What is wrong with them? Just sitting there. They should get up and help. And our consumption with a particular cause causes a wedge in our relationships with one another. So like Martha, you also might be saying in exasperation, Lord, bring them around. Show them the light. And indeed, it might be that Jesus needs to convict your friends about important kingdom causes. But Jesus is, very literally, all about showing people the light. So that is not the problem here. Look at what Martha is actually asking here in verse 40. She is saying, Jesus, you tell Mary to leave your side 
so that she can come help me. She's saying, Mary has not chosen the better portion. The better portion is with me and my work. Think back of all the gospel stories about Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at last year, and all the times Jesus and his disciples enter towns and homes to teach. Do we ever see an example of someone getting up to leave Jesus while he's teaching to do something else, some better work? No. Even the Pharisees don't interrupt Jesus the way Martha just did. They might challenge him or go away angry or with evil intent or huddle off to the side, but they don't interrupt him and pull others away. So just to linger on that tangent of interruption for a moment, do you remember who does interrupt Jesus? The bleeding woman in Mark 5. Jesus is on his way to heal a dying girl, and yet this woman's interruption of Jesus is welcome because she approaches him out of her great need and great faith. She places herself low before Jesus with fear and trembling, Mark says, literally at his feet at the hems of his robe, trying to remain invisible. And Jesus commends her faith and heals her. Martha, in contrast, struts into the room and seems to tower over Jesus. So this is not a holy interruption. Now, can you imagine being Mary as Martha storms in? This would have been embarrassing and disrespectful. Think about a family dinner you might have been at when someone suddenly says something clearly inappropriate, we've all been there, and the tension that fills the room afterwards. It gets quiet and awkward. Martha has brought that kind of tension into this room. It's not only that she's distracted, but she has distracted others from listening to Jesus. She has elevated her cause above the teaching of Jesus and judged her sister in the process. Now, after Jesus and the disciples leave, don't you think Mary and Martha are going to have some residual tension in that relationship that's going to need to get worked out? Broken relationships, especially between believers, are often a sign of something amiss in the kingdom, whereas kingdom work always aims for relationship restoration and flourishing. Now, is this a call to squelch your zeal for acts of service or causes that you're passionate about? No, not necessarily. The problem here was Martha's attitude and heart, not the service work itself. But it is a, cause, a call to examine our causes and the place that they occupy in our lives and our hearts. Because it might be that, like Martha, your cause has become your identity, and it's harming your relationships with your brothers and sisters. And if that is the case, then your cause itself is in need of being refined at the feet of Jesus. So that takes us to our second point. The Christ has come, needs to come before our causes for the sake of those very causes. So let's look at this passage again and look down at what Mary's doing. What is she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's doing what a rabbi's disciple would be doing, absorbing Jesus' teaching. And although we don't really know what Jesus is teaching about, it's likely what he's been teaching about all along in Luke, his kingdom. So in other words, Mary is at Jesus' feet receiving kingdom instruction about life, about all of life, her identities, her passions, her causes, rooted in Jesus as king. So what does verse 39, Mary at the feet of Jesus, mean for us? First, it means that Jesus welcomes everyone to sit at his feet to learn and be shaped by him, everyone. Rabbis at that day often only had Jewish men sit at their feet to learn, but not Jesus. So in this cultural context, this wasn't just unusual. It could have been seen as scandalous. It could even go so far as to bring dishonor on their household. 
And so Mary's posture, although quiet and contemplative in appearance, speaks loud volumes about her devotion to Jesus and her willingness to be countercultural in order to learn from him. Martha looks bold and strong outwardly, but Mary is bold and strong inwardly. In Luke's gospel, Gentiles, Samaritans, and women all sit at Jesus' feet. And so all of us, male and female, regardless of our culture or background, we are invited to bring our whole selves and sit at Jesus' feet to be shaped by the teaching of his kingdom. And so what then does that teaching entail? It means actually getting shaped by Jesus, not force-fitting his kingdom into our identities and causes. So let's think about who else is sitting there with Mary. Presumably, the other disciples are there listening and talking to each other, asking questions and learning how to follow Jesus. That's how they did it. And though they were all Jewish men, they were a varied bunch. There were working class men like Peter and James and John. There were politically connected types like Matthew and activists like Simon the Zealot. But all of them had to check their identities and causes at Jesus' feet. Now that would have meant a new and emboldened life for some of those causes, right? Jesus told them to go and do likewise when it came to caring for the poor and healing the sick and loving their neighbor. But it also meant, in some cases, a reshaping or even an abandonment of those causes. Certainly, the tax collector was called to give up his unjust practices. But even the friendly fishermen who spent their days loving their family and providing for them were called into deeper kingdom work. Life at the feet of Jesus meant their favorite causes, their cultural expectations, and their life work got reshaped. And that's the same word for us. We bring our causes and the things we care about and are passionate about and we allow King Jesus to shape them. Some of them will be reinforced and built up. Others might be refined. And others we will find contradict Jesus' vision of a kingdom in which love of God and love of neighbor are the law of the land. And those causes should be abandoned. Martha, we see, even though she has initiated this whole gathering, quickly finds herself burdened with work, frustrated, bitter, self-righteous, Look at that, it only takes one verse for her words of welcome and hospitality to turn into frustration and judgment. So when our causes leave us feeling this way, we can be sure that it's because we have forgotten to bring them to the feet of Jesus to be shaped. When we start to wonder if Jesus cares as much as we do, like Martha does in verse 40, we have forgotten that we are first receivers of Christ's kingdom, not builders of our own. We don't end this story with swept floors and a beautifully set table and a happy Jesus complimenting Martha for her great cooking. Her service efforts bear no fruit because it's done without Jesus. It's a harsh reality, and it can leave us a little unsettled. So don't worry. It won't end there. <laughs> Jesus always desires to send us away full and not empty. And so that brings us to our last point which is that Christ must come before our causes for the sake of our very selves. So let's dig a little deeper to see what's going on inside of Martha. When Luke describes her as distracted, the Greek word there literally means to be pulled apart or pulled in many directions. Imagine a tug of war rope that's getting pulled back and forth until one side just collapses in exhaustion. I can imagine Martha pacing back and forth in the kitchen alone. She can't do it. And so she enters the scene in the living room where Jesus is teaching and interrupts him. 
and we get this image of Martha standing over a seated Jesus in a frantic and confrontational way, asking him to make her sister get up and help. She says, Lord, don't you care about me? And while this whole scene was probably pretty jarring to the people looking on, Jesus isn't phased. He simply says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus' words of Martha, Martha to her are not unkind, but they are direct. Repeating her name like that was a sign of compassion, but he also doesn't mince words. So listen again to what he says. Imagine your own name instead of Martha's and Jesus' intent gaze at you while he speaks. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think another way of saying this might be, Mary has chosen the better meal. What Martha doesn't realize is that the dinner guest she has invited over brought his own food. While she was busy preparing a meal, Jesus was feeding Mary and the others with his own words. While Martha was focusing on her identity as a hostess, Jesus was acting as the Lord of hosts. We say these words each week in summer during the Kenyan Liturgy of Communion. Christ is the host and we are his guests, right? And this is why Martha is being pulled apart full of anxiety. She has two identities at war within her, that of hostess and that of guest, that of server and that of being served. And she has let her identity as server define and consume her. And it all comes out in the open in this dramatic moment. Now, I'm sure that this is not how she had planned for this day to go. But then we wonder, how did she plan for this day to go when she invited all of those people over? Was she hoping to impress them with her service, setting herself up with a hard task to prove her abilities in front of others and eager for their praise? Was she trying to impress Jesus, perhaps to earn his care and affection? Did she want to feel important, confident in her identity as a hostess and in charge of the house? Did she truly want to be near Jesus, but then when given the chance, simply didn't know how to lay down her own plans and allow him to be the center of attention. Because so often, all of that is what it's like for us, isn't it? We place ourselves in the center of the story, interrupting Jesus, trying to power and tower over him, and realizing that our own plans have already failed. There's no meal prepared. We can't accomplish the great cause that we've latched onto, and we feel alone and let down, and yet we're still holding on to our last shreds of self-importance and self-righteousness. And so there she is, and there we are, face to face with the Lord, face to face with the Jesus, the same Jesus who fed the 5,000 not so long ago. Certainly, if they needed a meal, Jesus could have provided it. This is the same Jesus who calmed a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee just a few chapters back. Certainly, if there was hard work to be done, he could have done it. This was the Jesus who turned water into wine and cast down demons and would one day even raise Martha's own brother, Lazarus, from the dead. This was the Jesus who said, man shall not live by bread alone, 
but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. He speaks to Martha with compassion, but he also speaks words of challenge, the challenge to put all things in their proper place. In verse 42, Jesus says to her, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Jesus is saying that the one thing necessary is him. And the wider call to all of us, the one thing necessary, the one foundation, the one cause to orient ourselves around is him. He is better than the bread she can bake or the table she can set or the home she can provide because he is, in fact, the bread and wine that never runs out, set on the table that always has space in a home prepared before the dawn of time and into eternity. He's the ultimate host, ready to receive all who labor and are heavy laden so he can give them rest. Standing before Jesus, Martha has nothing to offer him. She cannot impress him. She cannot win his affection. She cannot care more than he does, and she cannot prove her strength by carrying a heavy load. She can only choose to sit down and allow herself and her passions to be shaped by Jesus. She can only receive, and that is good news. Because here he is, the king, on his way to Jerusalem, where all of our passions are, and causes are put to the cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he was not distracted, but rather laser-focused on much serving. He's on his way to secure there for us a life free of the anxiety that Martha feels. He's on his way to secure there for us forgiveness, forgiveness for all of the ways that our causes and passions have taken away our love for him. And like Mary, if we choose that one thing necessary, then the good portion will not be taken away from us. There will always be a meal and a table and a home. So what does Martha do next? We don't know. Luke cuts off the story there and leaves us wondering how she responds. Think about how you want her to respond. And what about you and me? This story isn't a parable, and neither is our life. It's real. And so I'm wondering if we can hear Jesus calling our names out of Martha's kitchen, out of our lonely, heavy burdens and anxieties, out of a life lived feeling torn apart and distracted, where the work is never done and our hearts are never satisfied, and into the center of the living room where Jesus sits, able to give us one unified identity and cause, offering to take our heavy burdens and shape our lives for our good and for his glory. Amen.